Hey, Life Church Livonia! Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, and good night. That was a little Truman show for you there. <laughs> uh, my name's Alex, and uh, welcome to Tell Me More. Uh, this is a podcast that we put out through Life Church Livonia because we believe discipleship is a journey. And for me personally, it's never been just a small group study or the Bible study or the book of the Bible or the conference or the sermon. It's the conversation we have surrounding those things with friends, families, mentors that uh, really have transformed me. And so we're offering that to you here and tell me more as we journey together to become more like Jesus and grow in depth of understanding in his word and how to apply it to our lives. I'm joined today by Nate Wahlberg. Howdy, howdy. And uh, his cat tower is looking mighty fine in the yeah, background. I, if you are listening on our podcast, <laughs> know you're really missing out on the cat tower. You might hear some meowing in the background and <laughs> general shenanigans from a, her having too much energy. So right, we, we love guests, especially uh, non-human guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so we're going to kick off this morning. Today, we're going to be just kind of reviewing up to this point. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't been following us, we've been in a series called A New Way to Be Human. And we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount and seeing uh, what Jesus has for us in that for today, as we are looking for a different, a better, a new way to be human and do life together uh, in this world. So Nate's going to kick us off just by reading what we've got so far. And I'm going to share that on the screen here uh, with Matthew 5. Take Sweet. it away, Nate. Yeah, this is what Bob read from on Sunday. So we'll start with first one. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. The tower built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on, a, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So one of the main things that Bob said with this on Sunday mm -hmm. was how, um, you know, this concept of salt and light, um, which by the way, that was the name of my, my youth group when I was a oh. kid, fifth, fifth through eighth grade. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean, it's a good idea for a youth group name, you know, but, um, but yeah, he said, you know, we as believers, we're the ones who, who keep the world from rotting mm. and falling apart. So mm -hmm. I was going to ask you what your thoughts were on that and how that kind of relates to this concept of being salt and light of the earth. Yeah. I, first, I think it's important to see the evidence of that. I think Christians in America have a terrible reputation that I think we've quite heartily earned, mm -hmm. but I think that 
Um, I want to do a quick review of why this is already true and then mm. maybe talk about ways that could be true moving forward. Right. There's a, a book by an Indian Christian, Indian meaning from India, um, an Indian Christian man named Vishal Mangalwadi. And the book is called The Book That Made Your World. And the thesis of the book is that every culture is the direct uh, philosophical outcome of its religion. And he asks the question, how come India has been around for thousands of years and is still a second and in some places third world culture when America has only been around for 350 years and is a first world culture? How did that happen? And um, his thesis is essentially that Indian culture, it's both its weaknesses and its strengths are a direct result of Hinduism. And American culture, um, in its strengths as a first world country, not necessarily in our weaknesses, um, is a direct result of the Bible, of Christian values. That, Christ, that the Bible's values create first world cultures. And he goes and looks through other cultures like Europe, uh, the UK in particular, um, even Australia, and talks about how uh, biblical values, so things like um, every person is important because they are made in God's image. Uh, the, the value of that is Christians. We believe that you have one life. And then after that you experience, um, life or death on a more permanent basis, hmm. uh, in heaven or hell. So all life is precious to Christians because of that. And so your life is precious. So when you're referring to like Hinduism, then is that referring to like their caste system? as right. a, as a cast, version of like people aren't treated fairly in a sense because yeah that's a great yeah. example of it because um their belief about life is that you're constantly reincarnated until you inevitably reach nirvana right Got it. yeah and so whatever life you were born into you <laughs> justly deserve you deserve it oh yeah and yep. so they don't they don't do things uh to improve this current life on purpose because you got this up from your actions. This is on you. Hmm. And if you want a better life, live a better life this time, and you'll get a better life next time. Hmm. Right? And so that creates this contentment with um, subpar living conditions and the subpar um, uh, culture in terms of its uh, provision for people. And so simple things like that, right? That because Christians believe uh, life itself is important and every single person was created by God and God loves them and Jesus died for them. And that makes them important. Um, mm -hmm. Hospitals were started by Christians, right? Most education was started by Christians. Coffee was invented by monks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> a plus invention. Yeah, yeah. real good job there. <laughs> yeah. They found if they made a tea from a certain cherry off of a tree that they could um, stay awake and pray longer. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> um, but the, the reason most hospitals are called Trinity Health System, St. Mary's, St. Joseph Health System, is because Christians started these things because they believe, no, 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 life is super important. Mm -hmm. Jesus is a healer who heals sick people. This is just part of what Christians are supposed to do. Right. Um, things like education. Now, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say education is exclusively Christian. It was not. But um, the pressure to educate everybody, uh, again, 
just comes out of some of those same values. Um, so the idea that um, Christians are supposed to be salt that keeps the world from rotting, we have already done this through education. Because I mean, for a long time, uh, even in Livonia, right? Like you, people got educated often through private Christian schools, mm-hmm. right? And so like nuns were teachers and there's a lot of um, sin that was involved in that and abuse and all these sorts of things. And like, I'm not justifying that. I'm just saying as concepts, right? Right, right. That um, a lot of these things that we know are beneficial for the human race and create first world societies are the natural outcome of Christian values and the the bedrock for those things like hospitals, right. or education, um, or even, you know, that that's part of our, uh, our democracy. What I'm not saying is that our founding yeah. fathers were all Christians in the sense that we think of them. What I am yeah. saying is that the idea that um, all people are created equal and therefore have an equal voice is a founding ideal of democracy, including ours. Right. I think about like um, laws and stuff too. A lot of people, um, I think people can recognize it, but a lot of, a lot of people don't necessarily realize that so many of our laws are based on biblical teaching, just, mm-hmm. just naturally, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, pretty foundational in terms of this idea that, um, you know, treat your neighbor as yourself. You're not allowed to mm-hmm. murder somebody, you know, all the, all right, these right, <laughs> right. It's like, well, why is that a law? Why do we value that? And that's right. That's something that's traditionally valued in Christianity, you know? Yeah. And so, and actually there's, there's a great philosophical argument to be made for the kind of atheism we've experienced in America can only come from Christian values. (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. I think there's a great argument for it. If you're interested in that, search it on YouTube, specifically Jonathan Peugeot, (laughs) P-A-G-E-A-U or something like that. I mean, just really. um, Give me the 20 seconds cliff notes version. If possible, I I don't know if I could, um, <laughs> but in order to say uh, I am totally self um, sufficient in terms of um, my spiritual life requires a certain amount of ease that um, and a certain amount of self confidence that other frameworks of mine do not provide. Sure. Um, so look at, look up Jonathan. He is really brilliant, (laughs) way smarter than me. But the point simply being, um, the Christians have done this up to this point. Um, even simple things like we all love the weekend and that's again, a Christian, um, invention, not on purpose. It was a consequence of Christians and Jews. Now we're both worshiping in Rome post Jesus and the Jews aren't going to work on Saturday because that's their holy day. And the Christians were like, okay, well, if you got Saturday, we got Sunday. And so mm-hmm. now they're not working on Sunday. And so now uh, Rome can't get anything done <laughs> Saturday <laughs> and Sunday because so much of their labor force is taking the day off on these opposite days. And mm-hmm. so they ended up just kind of sanctifying that and go, okay, well, that's the weekend. Nice. Um, so even these, yeah. yeah. So even like, um, these things that we kind of take for granted, like healthcare systems, education systems, dem- democratic government, um, all these kinds of things um, come from Christian ideology and philosophy and are the natural outcome of a lot of Christian values. So in terms of Christians being salt in the earth, being something that keeps the earth from rotting, those are ways we've done that already. 
Right. Uh, and so the question becomes, in our time, in our day, how are you and I going to do that? And in what ways do we need to keep the world from rotting now? Right. That's a good segue into my uh, next question, because I was going to ask you about the practicality of being salt and light. You know, we can talk about the concept and how, um, you know, in, in many ways, you know, Jesus Christ is is hope personified. You know, yeah. he's a. Uh, He's, he's the one who gives us hope and gives us um, purpose and hope, 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 hope's a big, big, big word that's used, you know, with him. Um, I have a cat crawling on my, uh, <laughs> on my desk here. Um, but yeah, practicality of being salt and light. You know, one thing that uh, Bob said was, um, you know, th- this concept of being of the spirit, not being of the flesh, mm-hmm. even within our conversations. And so, um, he gave an example of, you know, even, even in driving over to record for church, you know, he mm-hmm. could count multiple different experiences where he's like, you're kidding me. You're doing this and you're <laughs> cutting me off with this and yada, yada. And he talked about how, um, you know, anger is not a fruit of the spirit mm-hmm. and often an indication of, of when we're not good with God is when that's kind of reflected mm-hmm. in a lot of our relationships and interactions around us. Mm-hmm. So so what are your thoughts on practi- practically, like what are, what does it mean to be the salt yeah. and light of the earth? Yeah, I think it's important to recognize um, that w- this is all in the context of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, which is really kind of the, the new law, the fulfilled law of Moses that he gives to Christians. And um, what that means is God was able to save create and make the world flourish without the Jewish people. And he calls the Jewish people to be his people so that as he blesses them, they bless the world. And they are the embodiment of a culture that is inheriting the commission of Adam. When God makes the world, he commissions Adam to uh, care for it have dominion over it, not in a totalitarian way, but in a way that there is, there is an authority figure that is for the good and flourishing of this place. The groundskeeper, you know? Yes. And so he has dominion over it to cause it to flourish. And God um, basically uh, saves Israel and causes them to inherit that commission. Mm -hmm. And, um, we have to recognize, and this is part of the atheism coming out of, of uh, Christianity thing, is that um, we are n- actually not that strong. Mm. You yeah. know? <laughs> and, and we are not strong enough to be God. Right. And a lot of the um, things that we kind of uh, aspire to are way far beyond us. But they are not far beyond God. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he is saving the world and redeeming it with or without us. Right. And the power to do that is his power, not my power. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm going to be salt and light in the earth, the first and most important question is simply, um, God, what are you asking me to do in you being uh, preserving the earth and making your light shine across the whole right. thing? What role do you have for me? And then how do I need to fulfill that? And in Christian circles, we call this your calling. 
that you were made by God for a purpose in the world. And ultimately that purpose is to know and love him and to know and love people. Um, I heard it said by an Orthodox priest this last weekend, I was in an Orthodox wedding and he said uh, in marriage, um, we recognize that um, as we know Christ, we meet Christ primarily in the eyes of each other. And that as we um, get married, that's the most intense knowing of another person that we are capable of on the planet. And so it is in this place we meet Christ the most. Mm. And that um, this person (laughs) is the person who will primarily sanctify you and make you most like Jesus. And it is in and through them that you will meet him most. Right. Um, In in the, the Christian schema and i think that that's the the goal for us right is that we are supposed to be people um who are so uh, embodied with god that um when people meet us they meet jesus right and one of the big differences between orthodoxy and protestantism is in protestantism we're very fixated on the atonement of sin on the cross. And Mm -hmm. I think in a very good and proper way, that's a good thing. But the gospel of salvation is different than the gospel of the kingdom. They are two pieces of the same whole. Um, That we are saved on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross, puts sin to death, and puts death to death ultimately. And then rises to a new life without those things and invites us into that. And in Protestantism, that's kind of where we end. And then we say, and because of that, now you have to go tell everybody about that. And in Orthodoxy, they say, and because of that, um, we are able to fulfill Jesus's prayer in John 17 to become one with God. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, the word in the New Testament for sanctification is theosis. It means to become part of God. That like I am, I'm actually um, swallowed in him like baptism immerses me. Hmm. And the word for baptism is uh, this word baptizo. It means to um, be completely covered, like completely immersed, right. uh, and then take a breath. Practically, like if someone's thinking about what does that mean, though, can you say that that just means like I'm part of the body of the church? Like it or... means it means that we, we talk about like you know. John, John the Baptist's prayer, more uh, of you and less of me, mm-hmm. right? It means so it's, that... It's like a concept of humility, <laughs> essentially, too. It's a concept of total transformation, that my sinful nature, who, who Alex is in um, mm-hmm. my understanding of Alex, is a person who once was totally corrupted by my sin nature, and yeah. now is only partially. <laughs> so it's like, it's like countercultural transformation. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is exactly what I said earlier in that, like, it is being Jesus, being like Jesus, and that I am so intimate with God, mm-hmm. that when people meet me, they meet him. Right. And Jesus literally embodied that in a way that is meant to be mimicked, but not replaced. Right. Obviously, we don't replace Jesus in the cross. Right. That's not what I'm right. saying. Yeah. Um, but I am saying that that is his model for the new humanity, is that right. we would be these these, these people who are so in like in his prayer in John 17, one with Jesus and therefore one with the father, um, that when people meet us, 
they meet him. And when, wherever we go, it's like God is going there because we are, you know, and I use the analogy a lot. We are a hose and he is the water. Yeah. That wherever we go, we aren't the water, but the water is so filling us that wherever we go, the water goes. Yeah. You know, so that's the, that's the idea. Um, of being uh, salt and light. And I don't even, so I remember your original question. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. We're talking about the practicality of it, but I, I I think there's so much. Oh yeah. 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 I, yeah. I love what you're saying. And I think about, there's so many different ways to even like approach this conversation. It's great. Like you look at, you look at Jesus's life. We could talk about the fact that he was a leader. He led by example. There's a different difference between being a leader and a boss. A boss tells you what to do without doing it. A leader leads on the forefront and exemplifies what to do. And you follow mm-hmm. that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, you know, Jesus was, was doing that. I, I think about um, the concept of being a servant leader. That's another mm-hmm. word that I've heard mm-hmm. used. And um, like, it's so obvious when you look at Jesus's path that he was a servant. He didn't yeah. come down here as a conqueror, like the Jews were looking for him to be. Right. He came to serve and said, you know, the, how you love the least of these, that's how you love me and yeah. all these different concepts. And then you look at these beatitudes and it's like, blessed are the meek. And I, I remember that, like reading that for the first time, hearing about that. I'm like, Jesus wants me to be weak. Like, why would he want me to be weak? You know what I mean? That's, yeah. what, what's the deal with this? I, yeah. I need to be poor in spirit. I thought mm. we're supposed to be like flourishing and what, you know, mm. I mean, like all these, like, mm-hmm. it's just, these are just challenging yeah. concepts yeah. to try to, you know, unpack. But. And this is, this is like the core of it, right? Is that um, God is for human flourishing on the earth. Yeah. He is biased in his the the favor of his creation when god made us he was not our judge just our father there was no sin to judge right and uh when we sinned we made him our judge Mm -hmm. but when sin is eradicated at the second coming and all things are made right and new he will no longer be our judge anymore just our Mm -hmm. father we're not at odds with him anymore Mm-hmm. He has no right. reason to be. Yeah. And so in regards to how do we then be salt on the earth, we have to recognize that is first God's work, and he is inviting us to join and embody that with him, which is why I went off on the tangent of being filled with him in theosis, right? right. That's step number one is there are lots of great creative things we can do, but we have to recognize we are just the hose, not the water, Yeah. right? And so I can't just like decide where I want to go and then ask God to empower that and expect him to do what I want. Because yeah. in that schema, I'm God. And I'm powerful enough to be God, to control God. And that's what I was saying about part of how like this our, this American form of atheism can really only come out of that yeah. thinking, you know, is this like that I am so important that I can replace you all of a sudden. You know, right. I can be better than you. And I can be, you know, I don't need you because I can <laughs> overcome you. Um, right. And uh, so the step number one is simply discerning really what's my, what's my calling? God, what are you asking me to do? And there's a great study uh, called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. I'd highly recommend it. And um, the thesis of the study is, you know, what's God's will for your life? Simply look around at where he's already working and join him. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all the disciples did. Right. They saw what Jesus was doing. They saw who he was and they said, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, I agree. I thought I've always thought an important concept I was taught with that. You, you touched on it earlier. It's like God, God's going to do his mission with or without you. Right. And, and kind of a, 
like not to be, it's not a mean thing, but I think it's a beautiful thing to say. It's like, God really doesn't need you, Mm -hmm. but he, but he wants you, like he, he wants you to be a part of that kingdom journey with him, but it's not like God is unfulfilled. If you don't join, that's kind Mm -hmm. of the the beauty of his power and his state of being, you know? Right. Right. And, and the thing that he misses, if he doesn't have you is not your power. It's you, it's your presence. Right. Right. And that's, um, I think, built you for a purpose, you know, right. And I think that's difficult for our our American egos sometimes, you know, (laughs) just think that like, no, but I'm so important. Of course, he needs what I have to offer. I'm critical to this operation. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, you're not. (laughs) No. And that's a humble thing. But I think that's okay. Like, I don't think that's a defeating thing. It's important to get past that, that American ego of like, no, that's okay. That's not Right. It's not devaluing me. It's like I am loved by the and, Lord, and I've create been created for a purpose right. that He wants to fulfill. And and it's you know. ultimately all part of that first temptation in the human experience, which is yeah. to be like God instead of be with God. Yes. And yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I think that that's a temptation that we are constantly faced with. Yeah. And it is like a temptation that is in our bones, and right. it is something simply that. Christianity is countercultural too. But the other thing I wanted to say too about the um, Beatitudes you were mentioning, we believe as Christians that Jesus is listing out the path to human flourishing. And it's so strange because it's the opposite of our natural strategies. Yes. Countercultural by definition. It's counter to our, to our uh, default strategies for how we, um, decide that we're going to flourish. And um, that's why it's, I think, requires faith, is it requires a trust that if I do this, I'm actually going to get the result I'm looking for. And I um, am being pushed to trust you over my own uh, biases and choices in this. Right. And that's, and that's why the light of God can be so visible through those actions, because it is so countercultural. So if I, if I choose to show mercy in a moment where, you know, by the world standards, I have every right to be frustrated with somebody or I'm mm-hmm. choosing to be a peacemaker. You know, like there's mm-hmm. all these things that are very, very right. countercultural and, and powerful as a testament to God's spirit within you too. And the salt and light come after that because they are the natural consequences of doing those things. Right. Right. When we do those things, we are the salt of the earth. Right. When we do those things, we are the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are imitating Jesus and we are being filled with Jesus. And um, one of the things I love so much about the Bible's analogy of light versus darkness um, is darkness is not its own entity. It is simply the absence of light. And so it has no, there is no battle when light shines. Yeah. You know, darkness disappears. It melts away. It can't exist in the presence of the light. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I love that as a physicist too. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an I'm an engineer by trade, and my I went to a Christian school called Bethel Bethel University in Minnesota, and shout like out. all of my yeah, shout out right. Yeah, <laughs> let me put in my plug real quick. But uh, <laughs> but that was something that my physics professors love to talk about because they're Christians too, and it was like there's so many biblical concepts that are even found within this light lightness darkness concept, you know. For sure, and it's and it's cool because the Bible approaches it in a really cool way too. But so that's another good segue. And here's a, and here is, here's a question I really wanted us to get to today. Um, especially for, for our listeners, you know, I wonder if, wonder if any of our listeners are having 
these uh, like a question kind of with what Bob was saying in terms of um, he said it like this, Bob said it like this. Sometimes we're unaware of the fact that we don't have light because others around us aren't afraid to have their light shine outward towards us. Yep. So we benefit from that. We benefit from people around us who are the salt and light of the earth. They have their light shining. We feel that, you know, but then when we go through times and sometimes we're isolated, we can't help it. There's life circumstances or something where, you know, that light that you were quote unquote feeding off of kind of gets cut off. And now you're, now you're isolated. It's you and God. It's what's your foundation. How is it? How's your house been built? Did you right. build it on solid ground? Are you prepared for the storm when the storm right. hits? Right. And uh, sometimes a lot of us feel like we go through that moment and now we're paying the price because mm -hmm. we weren't the light ourselves. So mm -hmm. what, what encouragement and what, um, what would you say to those who might be listening right now and might be thinking, yeah, you know, when I really reflect in and I'm honest with myself, I don't necessarily feel like I'm a, a strong light by myself. I'm kind of re mm -hmm. a reflection of, of the light that others are shining to me instead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in a sentence, I would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. And um, I think there's a, a lot of answers to that question, but ultimately that is a, that, that gift of realizing I am not as strong or as godly or as good or as um, I'm not the person I thought I was. And I'm actually, um, it, that realization threatens my perception of myself and has uh, destabilized my life. That's a gift. It's, it's in those places we meet God in a real and true way because we realize, man, I can't, I am, can't do this. Like just going right. to church is not enough. Just, um, you know, doing like a two minute devotional is not enough. Right. Just saying my prayers before bed is not enough that there is, I need something more. That's a right. real gift. And I would say as well in that, um, you know, whether you were, so you, you can use the analogy of light for sure, but also um, uh, like, I think Bob's analogy, if I were to personify it a little more is maybe you were um, like a mirror or, uh, like a piece of glass or something, you were reflecting light because you are around light. Right. And now once you're not around it, you realize it wasn't coming from inside of you, just around you. Another um, <clears throat> analogy I've heard is like coals and a fire, right? That part of why we meet together for church is we are the family of God and you can't, you know, imagine trying to be a family and never having a meal together. Right. You know, you could, you could talk with mom or dad or brother or sister by yourself whenever you felt like it, but that's not a family. Yeah. That's just like, it's just you doing everything on your terms. Right. And church is basically like a family dinner every week. And, um, a coal by itself cannot stay on fire. It dies, but a coal that is in the fire um, around other coals that are also on fire is able to stay lit. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, if that is you, um, get into Christian community, but also know that, that, um, this, that realization that you are not as strong as you think you are, and you're not the person you thought you were, and you are not as full yeah. of resources as you once imagined, um, that God is very close to you in that place. And that's a gift that is not a curse. Yeah. Um, 
the message translation, which I love very much of scripture. Um, Eugene Peterson was a pastor who just recently passed, but he was a hero of mine. He um, paraphrased the entire Bible, uh, trying to get the kind of emotional thought for thought of what scripture was communicating. Um, and I feel that there are some, some things in the message that just punch me in my guts and like hurt me or make or move me. And that yeah. was his goal was to get that from, you know, to help you understand, feel scripture. Uh, and the blessed are the poor in spirit in the message version says, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope for they mm -hmm. will see God. And uh, if that's you, if you're at the end of your rope, God is very close to you. And actually, now that I'm saying that out loud, I want to share this and read it because it's so stinking good. Yeah. So this is uh, the passage we just read, but in the message version. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more or no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get inside, when you, you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right, then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of computer fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten this kind of trouble. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out God's flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome. It's so That's, beautiful. I love the eyes in there, too, <laughs> how it's from God's perspective. Yeah. You don't, you don't think I'm going to do this with you, right? Of course, I'm going to put you on a light stand. You know, it's just right. it's very cool. It is so cool. It's just so beautiful. And I love that, you know, even though people aren't going to like it, I do. I do. It's so good. 
and yeah. all heaven applauds. Praise God. What so, version is that for people again? The How message. would they say that? The message? Yeah. It's um it's a paraphrase. So my one caution about the message, it was written. Eugene Peterson is a was a uh, a scholar in um Old Testament and New Testament languages, and he was a local pastor. And for people's birthdays, he would pray over a scripture and then he would paraphrase it to help them get the emotional guts of it. And yeah. people just loved it so much. They kept pushing him for years. Like, you got to do this with the Bible. Oh, this is so you, you just, Did he you do it for it? the whole Bible? He made, he did it for That's the whole awesome. Bible. That's awesome. For the whole Bible. And um, so I say that to simply say the message is a wonderful translation it's, it's a paraphrase, not a translation, but it's uh, so wonderful getting the emotional weight of things and just going like, oh my gosh, I had never thought of it like that before. But it's not, uh, it, translations in scripture go from word for word, meaning they're more similar to Hebrew or Greek sentence structure and less similar to English. Uh, so they can be hard to read, but that word is like exact to what the word yeah. is translated or thought for thought meaning they take a, a phrase and we'll go, what's yeah. the thought here, even if I have to change some of the sentence structure so that it flows better in English. And so um, the message version is way kind of on the thought for thought side. The ESV is closer um, to the word for word. And the NIV is kind of right in the middle, right between word for word and thought for thought. And so the message is one um, to again, feel the emotional weight and impact of scripture. It's not one to go like, Ooh, he used the word God colors. What word is that in Hebrew? <laughs> that's, <laughs> yes. that's not, yeah. Not, so you gotta uh, understand the context that you're, yeah, that's not going to be helpful to you. So, but it's one of my favorite, I've read the whole Bible um, in the message paraphrase and it's very, uh, very moving. Cool. Very moving. <laughs> Yeah, Ooh, especially this section. This section just makes me want to weep. I love it. I was I was going to jump in and say something too. You know, if there, if there are any listeners who are feeling kind of like you know just down in the dumps and discouraged by the fact that they don't feel like they're a light, you know, we we just went through a course called emotionally healthy relationships, mm. and one of the day by day chapters that it uh, asks us to go through is that you know you think about Psalms, think about the laments of David and all the different feelings and emotions that he processed, you know, Psalm 56 is a really good example of that. When, when they were talking about, um, you know, he's talking about his adversaries pursuing him all day long. And when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, God, um, and God, I trust and I'm not afraid. Um, but it it goes on to talk about how, um, I'm just going to read it here because they say it it well, but we observe this in the book of Psalms, um, talking about feeling threatened and, you know, there's difficult re- uh, relationships, etc. Um, so we, f- we observe this in the book of Psalms, which includes many prayers and hymns written by David and remains one of the most beloved books of the Bible. More than half of the 150 Psalms are laments that give voice in the hard, difficult aspects of life. Mm-hmm. Scholar Walter Brueggemann, Brueggemann mm-hmm. yep. has rightly noted that pain and suffering in the center of the three-part pattern we see in Psalms. Orientation, in which life makes sense and we enjoy God. Mm-hmm. Disorientation, in which we are hurt, suffering and wondering where God is. And then new orientation, in which God breaks in and we meet him in a new way. God assures us of his love and passion for us. He is committed to bringing each of us into a new orientation, a new place with him so that he can do a new thing in us and for us. But in order to get there, we have to be willing to go through disorientation. So I say that as an encouragement too, that um, 
there are so many different parts in life where you're you're going to go through disorientation that's just natural you know and you're you're going to feel challenged and isolated alone and maybe really discouraged and um like i love this idea that god by nature is is a redeemer he doesn't um destroy what is old he redeems it for greater and better purposes you know mm-hmm. he's he makes old things new he makes broken things whole mm-hmm. and um yeah god wants to bring you into a new orientation with him where you do understand these beatitudes and can apply it to your life and you know use that as a spiritual encouragement to to push forward you know that's the goal so mm-hmm. sometimes we need that disorientation in order to be then led by god and find new orientation yeah always that's always how it works yeah that's a good word nate good word anything else you want to touch on today i think that was like the main things i was thinking what are, what are your thoughts do you have anything else um, we have we have other pieces depending on what you're thinking but yeah i think you know i think we can wrap it up here i think that's that's good but i i, I think kind of final thoughts on salt and light um we're going to be talking this coming weekend about the next section, Jesus being the fulfillment of the law. I would highly recommend uh, you tune in for that. Um, but being salt and light, ultimately, like I said, this is not d- divorced from what just came before it. One of the things that I think is dangerous um, about reading scripture is when we take things in isolation Mm-hmm. and um think like, ooh, salt i wonder what you know what is all the how do i be salt or ooh, light what is like <laughs> without going like no no no. this literally just came after uh a whole list of things that jesus is asking us to yeah. embody and be and um the reason the salt and light comes after that is because they're an outcome of yeah. that right and so um that list you know blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn uh, we already did a sermon on that a couple weeks ago. So if you are interested in more on that, uh, we talked about it last week and tell me more and in the sermon from two weeks ago. So you can tune into that. Um, but I guess I would just end with this encouragement that you are the light of the world. Um, do not hide that light behind lesser things like busy schedules, uh, like overfilled to-do lists mm-hmm. um like uh entertainment of, that is of no value or no real worth um like uh like many 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 things that we let just shut out our light because we're so focused on other things and so much of the goal of the christian life is not just to serve god but to be present to his presence in every moment of every day to yeah. be aware of, mm, this is not my life that I'm adding you to, Lord. This is your world you've added me to. And uh, I want to be present to you and what you're doing and where you are and um, present to those interruptions to my schedule that are not interruptions to your schedule. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lord, I want it's, sim- it's, uh, it's Jesus's follow me, right? That we're not... Um, leading God or like trying to convince him to enter into different circumstances. Um, he is already working and doing his thing. And the, the goal, the task of the Christian life is simply to join him and follow him. Yeah. Good word. Yeah. Love it. 
Well, thank you for joining us on Tell Me More today. Uh, we This comes out every Thursday. And so if you um, have enjoyed this conversation, know that there's a whole back catalog of other stuff. And we will see you next Thursday uh, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount.